On today's episode, we talk about money, 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 how to stop the bleeding, how to stack the cash. We talk about your money blueprint and how your childhood has led into your business today. We talk about if your truths are too small for your potential. We talk about how you need to treat your money like your significant other, how you can write a letter to your money, a book that will change the way that you look at your patterns and what not to touch when you have scarcity hands. And so that should be enough to get you into the episode. Let's cue the intro and I will see you guys in this show. Welcome to the Mind of George show. This is a free for all Friday episode where just about anything can happen. I've had business leaders come on and share insider industry secrets. I've had monks and hypnotherapists come on, talk about mindset, discipline, the subconscious, and even swearing at me, which I never thought I would hear from a monk. Plus, I've had hours of spilling my deepest thoughts, fears, ideas, and everything in between the earlobes in my mind of George. But you can find all the episodes at mindofgeorge.com, and you never know what can happen on a free-for-all Friday. But one thing that can be guaranteed is it will either be eye-opening groundbreaking, or at the very least, entertaining. So let's open our minds and get into the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Mind of George. And I will be really frank with you on today's episode. I have somebody who has a crazy mind just like me, who is somebody I call a friend. She is an absolute riot. And by the end of this, you will be just as convinced as I am that she not only belongs as an entrepreneur, but she needs a second career as a stand-up comic. So today I have one of my friends, uh, one of my former mastermind students, one of my family members, somebody I love, who helps everybody stop the bleeding and start stacking cash in multiple ways. She's from sheep to shark. She's from everything in between. And I'm going to dilute it if I talk anymore. So I'm about to bring the truck driver on with a big heart and a big mission. So Bree, welcome to the show. Oh, hi. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I just love freestyle and the, inter- inter- the intros because I was like, oh, I remember half the things you said to me and I'm still laughing from previous mastermind events. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. I try, I try to say funny things. I think, I think it's just natural. So I'm going to kick this off the right way. One question. You've been in this game a long time. I know your business pretty well because, you know, we work together on it, but this is something I never asked you. And so I want to ask you, when you look back at your career of entrepreneurship, of life, everything you've done from programs and coaching and systems and all those things, when you reflect back, what would you think is the biggest mistake that you've made? How did you rectify it? And what do you do about it now? Oh my goodness. Probably my biggest mistake was in the beginning. I used to... I used to chase money so ridiculously. It was, it was really a thing that would happen. Um, so, uh, which is funny because I teach money mindset work. So, and I teach money mindset work because I do this work. Like I personally do it. Um, am I frozen? Can you? You're good. Keep going. I can still keep going. I All got right. you. All right. And so in the beginning, I used to always, especially like when I first started bringing staff on and I first started like bringing on really big expenses, I perpetually was like, I'm going to bleed out, which I just like such a weird statement to make because it didn't like, it didn't even make sense, but that was always my big worry. And so for a long time, I was trying to do things very quickly instead of do them not like we were doing a bad job, not like we were doing anything wrong, but I was like, we're going to need to do this. Don't worry about the systems. We'll put it together later. Like, you know, there was just things where I was like, huh, that's, 
an interesting take. So that was that was one of the biggest mistakes. And it was like a whole vibe for probably like the first like year and a half I was in business. And now uh now I rectified it by just like I know what I'm like in scarcity from like low grade scarcity like you know when it just starts to tickle you when it's not like crushing panic all the way up to like so I so I learned it's like a level of emotional intelligence. I was like mm-hmm. What happens when I get in, when I start to be in scarcity is I will wake up mad at my husband for no reason, zero reason at all. I will be like, you, you are here. Why? And I'm like, well, that was weird. Cause uh, I love this man and he did nothing to deserve my crankiness. So usually that's the time for me to check up on something. I love it. Good old, good old Mike Sedano. You're going to hear it a few times. I know, I know Brie. Yes. we're going to, we're going to hear about Mike Sedano a few times. And I, you know, that's a really It's a really important thing. And I know this is something you help people with. And, you know, actually we talked about this a lot at our mastermind events. This was a thread that came up and it's really common in entrepreneurs, right? It's really, really common. But now, like, as you, as you come forward with this, like now you get to this level of emotional intelligence, like, oh, there it is. I'm mad at my husband for no reason. I must be having scarcity. What do you do now? Like, how do you help people or what do you do to get yourself to this level, like to recognize it and then like mitigate it or do something like, what does that look like for you? So normally I will just catch it early mm. before because like I don't, I'll just explain what happens to me and hopefully some of the people here get this. So there was this one day where I was having a moment. I was pouring myself a cup of coffee and I was in having a little a little scarcity and I was almost out of half and half. I was not even out of half and half, but I go to pour myself some half and half and it's almost gone and I'm like, I'm nearly out of half and half. What's going to happen to me now? I'm going to have to make a car payment, something, something. My business is drying up. Like this whole, like, if you don't catch the thoughts, like all of a sudden, like the, there's like this one tiny thought of almost being out of half and half. And then all of a sudden this, and then all of a sudden this, and then all of a sudden I'm basically in my mind moving to the slums of Calcutta. And all that happened was I was nearly out of half and half, like, And so what I do is I catch it. I'll Mm. catch it early and I'll start start to figure out, all right, well, that's interesting. Okay, Hmm. I am feeling a little scarcity. And I'll just have like a a reality check for myself. Um, At this point in my business, really like I have plenty of clients that, I mean, cash flow is pretty solid. So uh, there's generally going to be some like underlying worry, like, Mm. And it usually, it will, like, if I go looking for it, I'll be like, oh, I probably should call my tax accountant to see if the thing that I wanted to do was legal or not legal and actually get some guidance on that before the tax bill comes, you know? I, I love it. No, I, well, I think it's, you know, for me, like, I, and I talk about myself on the show all the time, like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I sent an email and it didn't convert as well as I thought it should. And then I'm like, I'm going to be homeless, bankrupt, and my assets seized somehow like 17 minutes later. Yeah, of course. That's probably exactly yeah, what's like, going to happen. I've worked my – yeah, totally. And I convinced myself of these things. And I had. It took a long time to get there. And it's really interesting too because for me – and I know you help people with this. But like for me, it was – the only way it became true is when I actually believed it because then I started reacting to it. Like I reacted to the delusion. And it was like, and oh. I'd come out of the office and my wife's like, what is going on? I'm like, oh my God, it's all – and she's like – and like literally, you know, Lindsay, she'd be like, go handle your shit. And I'm like, okay. And I'd walk outside and I'd go for a walk and she like, wouldn't let me back till I was like back on planet earth. 
Yep, that's a that is a that's a thing. Because somehow negative thoughts they get a lot of momentum in your brain real fast. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you have one, and then all of a sudden it's like calling its friend in, and da 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 da. And then all of a sudden you're like homeless. You're living in a van down by the river. But the truth is, you are going to have to get half and half before tomorrow. And it's $3 and you already, in fact, have $3 in your wallet. Like everything is going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming that this is something that comes up. All right. Like we have, you have a lot of clients. Like I know the amount of people that you've helped with this. Like when you think about this, like scarcity is something that, you know, is riddled through this. And I think it's really imperative because you talk about getting this awareness of it, right? Like getting this EQ around it. But I think Mm. the first part of it is like recognizing its scarcity, like recognizing what's coming up. So when you have clients come to you, I know you literally have to break check them and be like, listen, it's like, all right, let me hold you and smack you around a bit. It is not that bad. Like, what do you think are some of like the biggest mistakes that like entrepreneurs make when it comes to this stuff and cash flow and scarcity? You know what I think it is, is they're reacting to their feelings instead of reacting to the actual situation. Mm. Like that's what it really comes down to. So it's so funny today, this week I was talking to a, to someone who's actually does not, she did not sign up to be my client. Um, and I was like a little disappointed because I was like, dude, there's, I see so very clearly the potential in the situation for you to do wonderful, wonderful things. But like, you're in your own way quite a bit. And she's like, you're totally right. She's like, my husband says the same thing. Like when I talked to him about hiring you, he was on, but I'm scared. And I was like, all right. And the thing is, is it's because we can see her potential without feeling her doubt. Mm-hmm. Like I can see everything that she's capable of because I, you know, you can like s- s- size up what she's done and you know, how, how like super smart she is, but I don't personally feel her self doubt. Like I don't feel her worry. I don't feel her inadequacy, you know, like, and so it's that it's when we are like reacting to our feelings instead of the exact situation. Like if I was reacting to my half and half situation, like, Hmm, I should put this on the grocery list. You know, like that's it. Or you're like, Oh, my email didn't convert. I should reread it and maybe move my call to action from the bottom to the top <laughs> or maybe make sure it's, the link wasn't broken <laughs> uh was that it the link was yeah, yeah. it was the wrong link yeah so it's that sort of stuff where you're like oh the link totally didn't make sense so that was the actual problem and then you can address it without you know dragging your emotions into the depths of despair Yeah. Well, what I think, and I would love your take on this. This is interesting because you said something that like, I felt like you were piercing my soul and you know, you know me as well. But one of the things that I realized is that my superpowers, like being the face, like the movie, being the talent, but like being on podcasts, being on videos. And then the moment I go like behind the scenes and I log into the bank account, it's like a cesspool of distraction and negative thoughts for me. And so like at this point in my career, I've realized that I need to know what's going on, but I don't need to have access to get into all of that stuff. Right. Like I need to be briefed of like, here we go. Like what's there. And so it learned, but for years I didn't. And so you'd have that thought or feeling like I should probably call the tax guy. I'm like, if I pretend it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, that's a fun game too. Uh, it often requires a much bigger cleanup, to be honest. It, every time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Though that's, it's a super real thing. And I think it's really important too in business to know your strengths and also like 
know the stuff that you're not really good at and check yourself and get the support where you need it. Like the only reason why we're brilliant is because we're supported. So we don't have to do all the things that we're not brilliant at. We get more time in our brilliance. So, you know, you're fortunate. You're, I think you're, you told me your wife handles all of your stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I don't, a, even meticulously. Have I don't even have logins. No. Yeah. So yeah, it's great. No, that, I get, I get told works. what to do. I'm like a child and she's like, this is how much money I need you to make. And then this is what you're allowed to buy and not buy if you want to have this in 10 years. And I was like, yes, ma'am. And then and oh, it's, that it's better that way because like my, my second home that we're getting ready to rent looks like a pottery barn magazine. And if I had any clue, like what it costs to furnish that thing, like I'd probably move myself to the street preemptively. Right. Cause I would convince <laughs> myself that it was real. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's a really, you know, it's funny. It's like, um, sorry, go ahead. No, uh, go ahead. I was listening. Oh yeah. yeah, No, I feel like there's a tiny, a tiny delay. Just a little bit. We'll, we'll get the internet to fix itself. But like, this is, um, I was really excited to have you on because this is a conversation that like in my entrepreneurial journey, very similar to you talking about like the mistakes that you made this was the conversation I avoided the most, like the coaching I avoided the most, the calling in the experts when I avoided the most. Like I'll remember like I was a sole prop, sole proprietor for a couple of years. And then um, I incorporated a company on December 31st and it saved me $240,000 of revenue uh, of taxes because I didn't know. And I was like, if I, I'll just do this, I'll just do this, I'll just do this, I'll just do this. And this was a conversation that I, quite frankly... <laughs> I think is missing in a lot of places, but like what you talk about, like you talked about like the mistake that you made in the beginning it was like just focusing on the money, not the systems and the processes. And and for me, what I've realized like cash flow, and, you know, particularly like inputs and outputs and measures are like the secret to all of this working. And then us as the talent adds rocket fuel to that. Yeah, it really does. But having that stuff in place also makes you feel so much more secure, yeah. like just better. So uh, recently, so I will just confess to this. So there was like one year I paid my taxes like over the top because I was just like, well, this seems generous. Let's write the check to the IRS and not do my bookkeeping. And um, so over the la- over like the last year, I got all my books squeaky clean. Everything's up to date. All my systems are in place. Like I know when like annual reports are due and I know what like 941s are. And all this stuff. And I just feel so much more in control, which is, yeah. Because for a long time, I was like, all right, well, we'll figure that out when we'll figure that out when I'm making a zillion dollars. I was like, "Mm, I'm probably going to need to know the answer to that uh, come quarter at least, you know? Yeah. You're going to need to know the answer to make a zillion dollars, right? That's the secret that I learned. Uh, Yeah. Super annoying. Yeah. Yeah, And and it's really interesting because I think a lot of people like it, you know, you you weren't at the event that we did this, but there was an event we did the stinky fish, right? And it was that thing that you pretend is not there, but the longer you leave it, it just gets worse and worse. Like it never gets better with time. And I feel like that's what a lot of, and even my clients that I run to my students, it's like, well, like, what do your numbers look like? And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And that security that you talk about though, it's really, I find that one of two purposes, like when you ignore it, right, you can't succeed. You just get stuck in the same pattern. And then when you realize it, it's actually the fastest path to success because you literally have a measure for every input and output. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you're tracking your money, you know where like where to allocate resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a book you've recommended probably on this podcast before. Um, Clockwork. Clockwork. by Mike. Right? Yep. 
Yeah. And so I was, so I, st- I read the book and I was doing this stuff and I was like, holy crap, there's like a, all nearly probably like 70 or 80% of our resources were going into sales, but there was not really enough like attention going to attraction. And I was like, wow, that actually seems like that's the problem there. And you start to look at it like, oh, all right. Well, now I know what to do. Now I know where to reallocate some of this time, energy, you know, and money. Yeah. And so now, like when, when you help people, right? So people come in, right? They, I don't have cash flow. One of my favorite ones is you're like, no, you have it. Like, it's just in the wrong places. It's the wrong allocation, right? Like, how do you recommend like somebody like, cause I feel like, I feel like unless you're like a, an accountant, a bookkeeper, like a CPA, like you came from the financial side and then you became an entrepreneur, like I can't think of one scenario where you should do your books alone, like where you should be running them alone or even attempting to do them alone. Right. So what are some of the things that I love you shaking your head? Like it took me five years to learn this. Oh, all right. Yeah. So get a bookkeeper, get a, a bookkeeper. And then really like if you pay your accountant to do like a tax planning session in the beginning of the year, so that way you kind of know, like if you project out what's going to happen and you're like, all right, well, if this happens, such and such, because trying to recreate that sort of stuff at that year's end, mm, you know, it makes you wish for certain death. I think like, you're like, if a bear would just come and eat me, this would be so much better. Oh yeah. Like the amount of times where I'm like, Oh, January is coming. Nope. It's not coming. It's not coming. Time is standing still. It's not coming. It's not coming. And I don't, I don't do that anymore, but it was, it was something that was very real for me. Even like when I was having massive amounts of success like on paper and to the world like the back end of it was not a a happy place to be like it was not a good place to be and so like you have people come to you right you have people do this you create systems you help it all but like what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see entrepreneurs make when it comes to like their systems and cash flow and money like so we can bring some awareness to this because i feel like you're about to call me out across the board Probably the biggest mistake that people make is doing activities that, that are beneath their pay grade. Mm-hmm. That's by far one of like in the entrepreneurial space, it low I call it time potency. So it's like if so let's just say if I'm billable at my at my full rate, like when I'm making the most money for the company, I'm billable at let's say three thousand dollars an hour. Well, if I was to be doing my own books. That's leaving like, I don't know, $2,950 an hour on the table. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times when entrepreneurs start to feel nervous about money or they start to feel nervous about other things, they start taking on more and more work. That's not really their job. But in doing that, they use like their most precious resource, like their mental energy in the wrong places. And so like figuring out how to work the tags in your convert kit ends up getting the lion's share of your attention instead of, you know, making the calls that are going to make the money. Because it's like those menial tasks, if they're really important uh, to be done properly for things to, to roll, like to be smooth. So I would say that's like, that's one of the biggest like holdbacks in a money standpoint uh, from like in the entrepreneurial space. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely big. I call them MWAs, minimum wage activities. Yeah. Right. I remember we talked about this and jammed about this. And so, yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate because this is what comes up for me. And I actually would love your take on this. Right. And then I used to be that guy and I'm like, yeah, but I don't have the money to hire it out. 
Yeah. So I, if you were my client, I'm usually just suggest getting like just enough money to make, depending on the, the type of position you're hiring for, you just generally need to give people a little bit of a runway. Mm-hmm. So if it was tasks that is going to free up your time, then I would say just get the first two weeks, you know, just get the first payroll set up. But generally, you'll get two weeks of work before you have to make your payroll. Um, you know, and even then there's usually another week set up. So it's like, you know, get your get your first little bit set up so that way you get your time back. Mm-hmm. And then uh, fly, baby. Like, do the yeah. thing. Like, make it, make it happen. And then there's some other positions. Like, if you're going to do a sales position or something, sometimes the runway needs to be a little lo- bit longer because you don't, you don't want to hire somebody under, like, the extreme pressure of, like, you need to make money or we're all going to die. Yeah. Bears are coming to eat us. Like, nobody wants to work like that. Well, um, yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to pull that. Cause I think that's a really important distinction. And, and like, I think when thinking about this, like I lived in that belief, right? Like I was like, okay, I'm like, I need to hire somebody, but I can't afford it. Right. But in actually that thought process is why I couldn't afford it. Cause if I hired somebody for that and just paid for that one thing to be done, which actually I had the money for, it would free up my time to then generate the revenue. So it was a lack of clarity as well. Um, but I think one important thing that I, <laughs> I'm still learning this one, that every dollar that comes in isn't my personal dollar. It has to be reinvested in the business and reinvesting it into like assets or, you know, other income generating activities or employees or processes or systems is what creates it down the line. Actually, that's a huge shift and it makes decision-making a lot easier because when you look at money as yours, it's got a lot of emotional attachment to it. What's so funny is like, if I was to look at your numbers and give you suggestions on something to do, I'm going to look at those numbers and with absolute clarity and certainty, I'm going to give you advice. You're not going to be doubting whether or not I think I know what I'm doing. I'm going to be like, here's the way that this needs to happen in this order. We're going to get this result. This is how this is going to pan out. Cool. You're going to be like, best day ever. But the other day, this is a, a, I called Eric Neham, a friend of, a friend of ours to be like, Eric, I'm looking at a whole bunch of numbers and I literally cannot figure out which way to look at it. Like if I look at it this way, it looks like this. If I look at it this way, it looks like that. And I just like, just help me understand how to look at these numbers. But it wasn't because I'm not smart enough to understand the numbers. It's because those numbers had a lot of emotional attachment for me as to like, did this succeed or did this fail? or am I looking at this like this didn't work right so part of me is like looking for the mistakes and what could we do better and the other part of me is like yes 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 and it gets that internal conflict makes decision making with your own money so much harder so if you start to look at your business money like business money and not like personal money it takes some of that emotional charge off of it and then you can be a better steward of your own dollars yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good one. Actually, one of the biggest breakthroughs that I had this year was actually putting me on pre-made payroll, like giving me like outside of like just a strategy, but like I get paid bi-weekly now out of the company, me too. like through Gusto and everything else. And it's funny, I get the emails like, oh, I'm getting paid. And then it's funny because it creates this really healthy relationship with me of like what's in the business is done to be utilized in the business, to reinvest into the business and to do it. And I'd say like I have 80% clarity right now. Cause like, I mean, I obviously have, a, I have a team around me that handles all of this stuff like Lindsay my bookkeeper, my CPA, my strategist, all that stuff. But there, it, I think the big thing, it's a practice, right? And 
I think for me, like I had 33 years of bad money habits instilled in me because I had this broken childhood of poverty and I'm the only person that ever made money and then the only millionaire in my family and all this other stuff. And so without ever really like, I decided one day I didn't want to do it anymore, but it doesn't just shift like that. It had to be like consistent practice and intention. And like, I got yelled at the other day for commingling funds. Um, and I was like, but why can't my morning coffee every day be a business expense? And it was an accident. I, I kept using the wrong card. <laughs> and then my CPA is like, that's going to pierce the corporate veil. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I got it. Um, but I think it's, All it's right. yeah. yeah, well, yeah, there's, there's some stuff there. And like, of course we can make adjustments on the back, but it, it's really interesting for me. Like I, you know, money doesn't come firsthand to me. Like I, I, I wasn't taught how to manage it. I wasn't taught how to do it. And so I've struggled a lot. Like I've struggled a lot with it, not being personal or looking at like my success as a husband or a father was based on how much money was in the account or, you know, but then at the same time I was like tax bills here. I don't want that much money anymore. Can we not like in all this emotional crap, you know, that came with it. Yeah. And I will say, and I'm just going to say this for me and I'd love your thoughts on it. Like the biggest thing for me has actually been just choosing to pursue a small part of it every day. Like whether it's like, I'm going to, you know, intentionally do this with funds or I'm going to look at these numbers today. or I'm going to read this brief today uh, because there was this part of my career and, and I see this, you and I see this all the time. People are like, I don't know. I won't look, I don't know. I won't look, I don't know. I won't look. So yeah. So the first thing, if you don't want to look, the first thing that you need to do is ask yourself, oh, why don't I want to do this? Because the main thing that will stop people is the excuse of, I didn't have time. Like, no, if you that like if you catch yourself saying, I didn't have time to do my money stuff, I didn't have time to look at my transactions, I didn't have time to do it, um, you know, lovingly and gently, you are lying to yourself. And the real question is, oh, why didn't I want to do this? Because that's really where the answer is going to be. And the first like few times you ask, you'll ask yourself, you'll probably say, "I don't know." But the truth is, like the way that our like decision making process goes, kind of from like a realm of judgments of things that you believe to be true about yourself, about the situation, about life in general, about money. Those judgments impact our thoughts, and then your thoughts lead your emotions. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, the thoughts we'll try to go toward the actions, right? So there's like four steps to this. You're, so you're, you'll be like, oh, I should look at my bank account. But the thing is, is you have to bypass, you have to go through your emotions to get there. So if you feel a lot of a resistance in your emotions to be able to take the actions, you have to figure out why. Um, I'll give you a quick example. So I had a client the other day, she, I told, she had a whole month to track her transactions. This is probably 25 minutes of, of activity. So, we get on her next call and she says, Brie, I just didn't have time. And I was like, it's been COVID. Like you haven't left your house. What are you talking about? And she's like, I just didn't. I was working. And I was like, dude, that's uh, bull bullshit. Lovingly and gently, that's bullshit. So why didn't you want to do it? And she's like, I don't want to do it because I feel so bad when I do it. I feel like I'm wrong. I feel like I regret every single bad choice I've ever made. I feel this. I feel that way. And then like, then you can dig into it. Then you can solve the problem from there. But if you're feeling a lot of emotional resistance around doing simple things like logging into your bank account or, you know, getting the tax stuff together, a lot of times, you know, 
don't matter taking. So if you said to yourself, I'm bad at money for 33 years, and now you're going to do this thing that would make you good with money, you're going against your own programming of your identity, and it will cause a lot of emotional resistance. So from that level, you really want to check in with yourself to see, all right, well, what am I actually afraid of? Or what's actually going on there? Because that's usually going to lead you to like solving like the money blueprint type issue. Um, yeah. Did that answer your question? Yeah. What's the, what's the money blueprint? Oh, so, I, uh, so, I, so money blueprint is based on T. Harvecker's activity that's in Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Mm. I took that activity and I kind of modified it for all of the facets of money. So your money blueprint is basically formed between the time that you're born and you're about seven or eight years old. At that point in your life, you don't have your conscious brain fully on board. That's why little kids can't wipe their own ass or, you know, make choices like, huh, you know what? I will not stick my tongue into the light sockets. Like it's why that children need to be like protected at all times because they're just naturally curious, right? So that conscious brain that filters, that judges things, doesn't really come online until you're like seven or eight. But there's a whole lot of life during those first few years. And that's where, you know, you know, your your parents, your family, all of that experience was just basically teaching you how to be a human, like how humanity works. Money gets incorporated into most decisions that happen every day so you want to think about so money blueprint is basically you start to to journey like you start to like it's a writing activity um and you start to look at like well what did i hear about earning money for example what did i what did i see my parents do to earn money what did i what was the modeling like what were my examples you know do i have any personal experiences about earning money that forever changed the way that i look at earning money and so money's got a lot of facets. So what is it? It's like earning, spending, expenses, saving, investing, debt, giving, receiving, rich people, poor people. If you really dig in and you have you like journal with yourself around what did I see? What did I hear? What are the what are the things I believe are true about these things? You'll have a very clear idea of like your blueprint. And so some of these things will conflict with each other. Like um like, let's just say you have a belief that you cannot be rich and healthy or you can't be rich. Like if you get rich, you'll end up in divorce, right? Because sometimes we like put the two things, put two things together that are not necessarily associated. So then you get a promotion at work, but then your subconscious goes and freaks out because now you're like, well, if I take the promotion, I'm going to have to get a divorce. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense, but that's sometimes how we'll have conflicting beliefs. Does that make, are you with yeah. me there? Does yeah, that make no, sense? Tracking, tracking, keep going. Yeah. Um, so a money belief system, like identifying your money belief system is super important for clarity around like, where are the jam ups? Because if we have the way that I kind of describe it to my clients is the realm of judgments in your brain is basically things that at, at some point in time you believed were true. And they're still true in your brain. Now you can have a set of truths that's way too small for you. Like there, you ever talk to somebody and you're like, they're had they have a problem and you're like, all right, well, you could try doing X, Y, this, you could try doing this. That looks like it would solve the problem. They're like, no, I couldn't do that. 
And you're like, uh, okay, all right, well, what about option B? You could do A, B, and C. That looks like that would solve the problem. And they're like, I couldn't do that. What's, what are you crazy? Like, I don't, I couldn't do that. And they're like, oh, all right. Well, what about E and F? Could you do that? And they're like, no, no one will ever love me if I have student loans. And you're like, oh, okay, great. Uh, well, you're probably just going to have this problem until you die. Uh, so uh, you should probably not pay me for any more advice. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but that's, that's not because that's not a smart person or they're not trying or anything else. It's just because they have a set of judgments that's so small. Um, and so when you really think about like your judgments, matching your thoughts, matching your emotions, matching your actions, like that's alignment. That's when you're at your most powerful, but most of us have judgments that are like weird and conflicting with other judgments that make it really hard for our thoughts to have the full access to the whole brain, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes, it makes a ton of sense. And so would you say that like one of the biggest steps in the past forward is just bringing awareness to like our patterns and behaviors around money, like our money blueprint? Yeah. Doing that activity is one of the most important things that you could do because it's going to show you all of your blind spots. Like I'll tell you when I first got, when I first got started. So when I grew up, my dad sold insurance and money was very inconsistent. He, there was someone's, he made a, or pay, I guess I don't paychecks. There were some paychecks he made that were huge. And then there were other months that he might not make any money. And so there was this intense feast or famine cycle that went on in my house. Like we would watch like the groceries dwindle. <laughs> like yeah. we'd start getting late notices on stuff. And then he'd get a paycheck and we'd go to Costco and we'd get new shoes or whatever we needed. And all the money would be gone two days later. And then the, the process would start over again. And I realized that when I started, um, so I started in finance doing like being a regular financial advisor, selling stocks and bonds. And I would do this, like it would, you know, like I would get a huge paycheck and I'd be like, all right, let's go to Costco. Let's pay all the bills early. Let's you know, fill up the oil tank, you know, and it, like, I would get so weird, like little house on the prairie about it. Like literally one time I canned some peaches. It's just so weird. Like I must can my own peaches now because money will never be coming again. And I must be prepared for the winter. So weird. But literally, that's a true story that totally happened. Um, and so then I decided that I wasn't going to do that anymore. I was like, well, I see I have Bob's patterns here. There's probably a better way to do this. And so then I built a reserve tank. So I would like, when I make a lot of money, I'd just put it in the reserve tank and I would pay myself consistently. And so this helped with consistency. But the, then I did the activity again and I was like, I still have a belief that money comes inconsistently. Mm -hmm. So then I solved for that. And then I had the idea to put my client, to offer payment plans. <laughs> to offer payment plans mm -hmm. so then my clients could pay me every like every month and it comes automatically and that that idea was available the entire time but I didn't see it mm. does that make like I didn't like I was like oh I must have these huge influxes of cash because I never have any money and then I was like no I'm pretty sure payment plans would really help with the with the consistency thing and so now I have consistent revenue, but I had to change my belief that money, like I believed that money was inconsistent. And so the, the idea of having payment plans, like 
didn't even resonate for me. It didn't even make sense. And then I took down the judgment that money was inconsistent. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is so much easier. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. And what I love about this, Brie, is like we're not talking about like you have to spend 33 years reprogramming something or 22 years. It's the awareness of it that makes like the biggest thing. Because it's funny, like you're saying this, right? And I'm like having my own therapy session over here. Right. Thanks, Brie. Like, and I'm like, oh, that's how ours was too, right? It was like, oh, it's all gone. We can't spend it. And like, I'm blessed that my parents never talked bad about like wealthy people or rich people. Like I never had that programming. Right. But like, as you're saying this money blueprint, like I think about, you know, people that run across are like, oh no, rich people are bad. Or, you know, they do this or like when you have money, it means this. And like all that goes into this belief system and it runs constantly. Oh yeah. Yeah. And if you have super intense beliefs about rich people, that really jams up earnings. That will really jam up your earnings at a certain level. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think the thing that comes up for me the most is I grew up very similar to the feast or famine. Like we had drugs involved and other stuff involved, but it was like nothing, 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 can't, can't, can't. And then all of a sudden it was like reward, 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 reward. And I look at my career and my career has followed that pattern like over and over and over again. And I've worked on that. But when I think about this, like that's some of the stuff that comes up for me when I'm like thinking about like logging into the bank account, even not knowing the numbers and there's probably going to be a good one. But I'm like, but if it's not, then I have to go do this because I have to make it again because it's going to dissipate. Like I still have that that I'm working through. I'm aware of it, but it's something that comes up a lot for me. Yeah. And that, what's funny is that men, and, men, I do it a little bit too. Uh, I like attach my own identity to the money in some ways. And it's super... Uh, unhelpful for decision making and it's kind of unhealthy too. It will drive you to, to the point of craziness because money is one of those things like fitness. Like you could always do one more push up. Yeah. Like you could always have one more dollar. Like you could always be a little bit better. There's always room for improvement. And so if you're not. So yeah, if you have that, the more access to bigger and bigger thoughts and desires you have on top of it. So it's really easy to never feel satisfied uh, with money. It's, it's a, it's a fun game we play. Yeah. So when, when you think about that, like that thought and that process of like, you can always have one more push up or you can always do it. There's always a way to improve. And this like moving of the finish line, like how do you go about getting to a point or awareness where you're satisfied with money? You have to learn to be satisfied. Like literally, generally I'll start with the clients, like literally learning how to be satisfied with food. We get trained from a very young age to consume so far beyond satisfaction. Like when you were a kid, did you ever have to clear your plate? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So like you were full and they were like, we don't want to waste that. So instead of it going to waste in the trash can, it will go to waste on your human body. Right? It doesn't even make sense. Um, but like buy one, get one, buy one in every color, like more, 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 bigger French fries, bigger sodas, bigger everything. So uh, for a lot of my clients, it's it's like a practice and awareness to become satisfied, like to know when you're satisfied and to actually like conjure and accept the feeling of satisfaction into your day. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's like, oh, I'm going to, it's, 12 p.m. I'm going to feel satisfied with my accomplishments for a few minutes. You have to like put it in your calendar. It, do, it does make sense. And it's funny. You said that. I was like, yeah, I had to clear my plate. And then I was told how we couldn't waste it because we didn't have the money to get it. 
Yeah. Or I used to get like guilted. Like they'd be like, there's starving children in other places. And I'm like, well, I guess could we send this to them? It never made sense. Like none of it ever made sense. But so being this also like unattaching your own identity. I mean, like you want your identity to be separate from the money in your bank account. Uh, ideally, like you really do. Like they're not, they're not connected. Like your birth as a human is immeasurable and priceless at the exact same time. The worth for the time and service that you provide is dictated by the marketplace and they should really not be intertwined at all. Like when people are like, charge your worth, I'm like, that is atrocious. Like you charge, you're not going to earn what you're worth. You're going to earn what the market will pay for the time service, you know, the thing that you do like, but that's, that's very different than what you are personally worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, so I'm aware of that. Very aware of that. I mean, you know, like what I've done and what it's here. And it's, it's this whole thing, like the thread of all of this that I keep hearing is like, just this awareness of it. Right. Because I've fallen into that trap where I've hit a new level, right? Like first company to hit a million, then the next company hits 10 million. Like these are my companies, but then at each level it comes again. Because then I'm like, wait, why did I even care that it went from eight to nine or nine to 10? And that new label requires a new level of awareness to be like, oh, there it is, like sneaking in again and sneaking in. And I feel like it's just a sneaky little bastard. Like just Oh, yeah. Oh, money mindset, too, is one of those things that at every time you improve your situation, you have to do it again. <laughs> like every time stuff gets better, you have to do it again because, because your mind loves what's familiar. And so the subconscious part of your brain doesn't know better or worse. It's just familiar or dangerous. So even if your zone of familiarity sucks the worst, it is absolute disaster. That's still going to be like your go-to what your brain loves. And so the further you move, like every time you do better, those old, it's, it's not going to be the same things it's going to be different things, but similar. Like it, it won't be the exact same. Like you're like, oh, I cleaned that up. But then it will all of a sudden be like, hmm, all right. So there's a slightly different version of that thing that I already cleaned up that's happening. Yeah, I say I say it just likes to change wrapping paper, but the present's always the same. Yeah. 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 Uh, similar. Yep. Yours. Yeah, that's so, a good way to put it. I like yeah, it. Yeah. So yeah, we can play with it. We can play with it. So when you think about that though, like when you think about retraining your money mindset, like what does that look like? Like how do you go about that? So a lot of times it's looking back at the, where the stories came from and then retelling them with a different meaning. So for my clients, a lot of times we have to bring, I call it like eyes of compassion and you have to bring a lot of forgiveness to the table. So when we're talking about compassion, a lot of times you just have to see to win uh and with a lot of compassion for the other people in the story so like um so like do i think that my dad was going to costco and taking his entire paycheck to screw up my money mindset and have me live in a kind of state of fear about money no of course not he was doing his best he was a single dad he had three kids he was probably behind, like he was literally doing his best with what he was working with at the time. And then that's like a relatively easy story to forgive because there's no real like personal damage done. There was no like victim, you know, no 
nothing especially terrible there and that's that type of situation but you have to go back and kind of look at the situation and be like all right well do i think that they had the tools to solve this problem or they personally developed you know was there unresolved trauma that's like coming out in the way that they handled this okay maybe all right so then you start to see like why like what makes somebody tick like what made them make these kind of choices and a, a lot of times you once you like really understand that you can bring a lot more compassion because sometimes we like kind of hold these energetic grudges against situations people you know like the the whole thing and so when i talk about forgiveness it's not so much like a condonation and sometimes people even think forgiveness like I'd have to call you to forgive you. We'd have to talk about it. I have to let you back in my life in some way, shape, or form. But forgiveness is really just like an energetic letting go of. Mm -hmm. Like it just means that like, like I, you basically want to look at those situations with the compassion and then you flip them to make sure that the, the present inside the wrapping paper, you take it for what it's worth. Mm -hmm. And so what's super wild is that the more people I talk to, the more I realize that people's like really big gifts don't often come in like the shiny, gorgeous wrapping paper in moments full of joy and love and gratitude. Like you get your courage when you had the shit scared out of you. <laughs> like mm -hmm. you get your power when you decide you're not a victim anymore. Like you change, like th that's really the most important thing is you have to see what you got out of the situation because then you've turned shit into gold. And then the same thing happens in your money, if that makes sense. So that's like a little deep, but no, I mean, no, I think it's, I think it's perfectly there. And like, would you say too, that like, I think for me, like I hear this a lot and I think it's really prevalent. Like you can get to a point where you've become aware of like your money mindset or your money blueprint from your child and forgive it. But then when you're in this world of entrepreneurship, like you might have a business partner mess you over. You might have a business get shut down. You might have to close one and reopen one. And then it, it, it kind of, it, creates like an entry point back into that money blueprint and you go ahead. Yeah. So patterns, patterns are especially tricky because when you're the one living them, they're very difficult to see. Mm -hmm. Um, for patterns, you're almost always going to need some help. You're going to need a, a practitioner of some sort because, uh, so for example, I'll, I'll be like, mm, all right, like I'll be fishing around with a client. I'll be asking a lot of questions. I'm like, and so I start to see the pattern and they'll be like, well, this was different because this was a boyfriend and this was my dad, or this was different because this, I lost this job because my boss was this, or I did this or whatever. And it's like, the pattern is the same, but the circumstances are different. And so when I'm looking at patterns, I basically want to, like, when I'm working with my clients, I will start to imagine, like, an energetic thread. Like, all right, so what happened? All right, so you, you, did, you did something that you thought was good. It was unreceived. You felt a massive amount of resentment and consequently, you know, in some way, shape, or form, bring some aspect of your life to the ground. Great. Okay, so that's the pattern. And we see it, you know, we see it in high school. We see it this other time we see it with your ex-husband great but the situation will be different so pattern work is a little trickier um but pattern work almost is always a childhood story or mm -hmm. some sort of uh big life story mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, I no, I agree. Like I, I talk about this a lot and, and this is something I've worked on. Like, you know, it's like I've had broke up with business partnerships and like, oh, but I picked you because of a childhood wound. Right. Like that's why I had you as a business partner to begin with. And so like in that sense, I mean, I think all of it really comes down to that paradigm or that pattern. And having the, you know, really for me, like having the people around us that can see it, right? That support us, that you know, see us at our potential, like, and it's funny because like I have like you and Eric and Carlotta and all these people, right? And it's like I'll sit over here, not anymore, but I used to sit over here, like, oh my god, I can't look, I can't look, and all I got to do is send one text and it's gone, right? But it's it's the practice of it. And I really think that that's a really important part of all of this. Is you know, entrepreneurship, I look at almost like a body and. You know, when you think about money, it's like training arms and chest and never training legs, right? Like you're just not going to look that good and it's not going to work. Oh man, we were just, before Corona happened, we went on a cruise and before the cruise, we made like a human scavenger hunt. This is probably terrible. I'm probably going to be embarrassed that I said this to you. So we made like a bingo card, my, my family of like people to like, while you're people watching and one of the one of, one of the people to find was the guy who skips like day. Yes. <laughs> you know, the guy with the massive arm muscles and like tiny, tiny, skinny little legs. Yes. So with money, it's, it is a practice. You're totally right. And it's, it's checking in on your beliefs and then building habits and building systems and getting support where you need it. Yeah. And what would you say? Like some of the, like either the most neglected or the inverse of that would be like, what are some of the most like important habits that like entrepreneurs or business owners can have around money? Cause that we didn't come from the financial advisory space, right? This is a different world for some of us. All right. So one of the most important things you probably want to do is look at your money pretty regularly. Like you want to check in with it and depending on the size of your organization and who's managing money, you know, you want to check in with your reports. You want to, if, you, if you're a sole proprietor, you, you know, you're not there yet in terms of systems. You want to check in with your bank accounts because it gives you a lot more clarity in making decisions. Mm. Um, that's, that's really one of the main key things. And then it's really like, I mean, the, it's tracking is tracking is another habit. So whether or not you're doing your books or whether or not you're like you, the main question is where did all my money go? And it, did I want it to go there? <laughs> like all money gets spent. Like people think about money, like, like all money gets spent. And if it doesn't get spent in your lifetime, somebody else gets to spend it. Even when you buy an investment, like, like if you buy a business or you buy a stock or you buy a piece of real estate, you still bought something, you still spent the money and you bought, you now you have an asset. So the idea that you're going to have money that you don't spend is like defiant <laughs> of the way money works. Um, so you just kind of want to like, remember that and, you know, some of like, I feel like it's a tricky question because it just depends on where somebody is. So for most people, it's going to be like an annual meeting with their accountant, you know, checking in on their payroll, knowing what's going on, mm. uh, and setting some systems in place. So that way, like, especially, especially if you're at the point in your business where like you have somebody else with access to your bank accounts, yeah. like, like that's like, you want to be checking in on those things all the time. You want to, you really, cause like I've had a couple clients come see me after massive embezzlement disasters. And it's like, dude, how, you, how did you not how, like, they stole hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, how did you kind of not notice that? And it's because it's because everything was running so smoothly that they weren't looking. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually funny. There's a story in the Marine Corps. Um, <laughs> 
So in the Marine Corps, everybody gets paid on payroll, right? It comes from the DOD. It all gets direct deposited. But at each base and each unit, there's a comptroller. And, the, and they're the ones, like, when you check into the unit, they get you. Now, you're paid for the government, but they come through you. And there was this one story at Trade Point, North Carolina. This one dude in his whole career worked at this, like, one base. He could kind of skip the system. But for every Marine that checked in, because when they check in and they sit us down, like, okay, do you want to put, you know, what are you claiming your taxes, right? Do you want to put money into this or into your TSP into whatever? And like they could even back in the day before like we had access, like this 2002, 2003, they would write a line of code that when our direct deposit came in, it would come in and then some would go here, some would go here, and they would help us with that. And this one dude, every single Marine that sat in front of his desk for his whole career took one penny a paycheck from. One penny a paycheck from. And it took like 15 years to catch him. And they finally caught him because some young kid that was like 18 years old was looking at it and looking at his pay stubs. And he's like, where's this penny going? What is this penny? And it pulled this thread. And the dude ended up stealing a couple million dollars by just taking one penny a paycheck from this massive amount of people over like 15 years. And he ended up going to prison for like 20 years. But it happens. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And that's probably like an extra clever way to do it because nobody's... I mean, so what, over 50 cents a year, were you getting paid once a month or Uh We were getting paid bi- bi-weekly. So yeah, cool. once every two weeks. So it was like two cents yeah. a month over time. But then every person who came through that yeah. stays and it stays and it stays in the volume, right? There's, you know, 50,000 people here. It starts to add up over time. And it was, it was insane though. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's the yeah, and it's also like you know, if somebody steals twenty six cents a year from you, it do, it doesn't hurt bad enough to want to go and sue them or anything. Totally, like they stole five dollars from me. But in the big scheme of things, yeah, that's uh, that's a good story. Right, I just I, like I completely it. forgot it until you brought up embezzlement. I was like, oh, that one dude. I remember because I read the news story about it. So when you when you talk about systems, right? Like you've said systems a lot. Like, money systems and money systems and like systems. So like, what do you mean by systems when it comes to money? Like, is it like setting up ways so you get like a weekly report? Is it allocating money to like into tax accounts? Like, what do you mean like high level when it comes to systems? Yeah. So actually Mike McCowitz wrote another book that I really like called Profit First. And that's one of my, like for, if you're not, you know, if you're doing like less than a few million dollars in revenue, that's a pretty, pretty good way. Unless you have super complicated, like, um, inventory or, you know, more complicated stuff. But even then uh, there's accountants and bookkeepers that can implement it. So basically when the money goes in, it gets allocated to where it needs to go back out. So that you set money aside for your profit, for your taxes, you owner compensation for your payroll, for your general operating expenses or your cost of goods. And so that way, when the money comes in, it it already gets allocated and it helps you to kind of know what money is already, not already spent, but it's money that's going to be spent. So it helps with the decision-making also like, you know, uh, your bookkeeper does, does he or she do your books every week, every month? What, um, you know, do you pay your bills on the first of the month and the 15th of the month? You want to start to systemize those things because your mental energy is really your most precious resource. And so if you know that on the first of the month you pay, you know, X, Y, and Z bills in your business, and on the 15th you pay, you know, the rest of your vendors perfect, then it's not something that's going to take up a lot of mental space because you just have it. You're just like, oh, all right. On this day, I pay such and such things. On this day, I pay other things. 
and it's cool. Like payroll should be systemized for a little bit. We were doing payroll, not through a payroll company. And that was more trouble than it was worth the, I don't know, 70 bucks a month for a payroll companies worth it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so it's all those sort of systems. And then like putting in your calendar the day that stuff's due. Like, so in my state, uh, in March, there's an annual report that's due, you know, and so it's like 80 bucks and you just have to do it. And that's actually not even a money thing. It's just like an administrative task, but I have that in my calendar. And so like the, your quarterlies go in your calendar, the days that, um, like in my calendar, I have the day that the paychecks, the paychecks happen. So like, cause I pay myself a paycheck too. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, Oh, I know that I'm getting paid, but also like, that means I also know that the money's coming out of the account, you know, a few days before. So systems, it's just, you want to set stuff up so you don't have to think about it as often. Mm. Um, and it's going to be a little bit different for everybody's business, you know, depending on what it is you do, but that's, I mean, that's what systems are. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And, you know, like as you're talking, like I, I have a lot coming together for me and I've known you for a long time, but like this, when I hear about it, like you talked earlier about like, you can't be attached emotionally to the money, but like money's a tool. Like that's what it is. And you're like, you don't die with it, right? You can't hoard it. Like we utilize it and all of this, like we run high speed daddy profit first, the whole company runs profit first, right? Craig implements that across the board, but you know, even this of like allocating it and not having a bill due every single day and not being like, oh, what's that invoice or what's that email? Like looking at everything and looking at it with like intent of like, I got this in, but like, how can I systemize this? How can I make this more efficient? How can I have a better relationship with this, quite frankly? And it's a really profound, simple, but profound way to look at it. Yeah. You kind of want to think about money like a woman. Like, can you imagine if you said to your wife, I don't ever want to have to think about you. What would she say to you? I don't ever, I, I want you to show up when I need you, but I don't want to have to think about you otherwise. Yeah. I wouldn't, I'd be sleeping on the street. Yes. And, but this is, this is like often like one of the number one, like fucked up money goals. People be like, I don't want to have to think about money. And I'm like, well, that means you will not ever have any money. You know, money wants to be taken care of. It wants to go where it's going to be where it can grow where it's going to be used you know the thing one of the things too about money is like there's like the masculine energy of money which is like provider protector money so like the have you you ever know the vibe of like all right i need to make this much money this month to make sure everything gets covered yes do you know you know have you ever had that talk with yourself yes great all right that's a very masculine energy of money it's like all right, this is, this is the, this is what I need. Okay, cool. And then there's this more feminine energy of money and it's like the realm of like desires. Like, um, I'm not going to get to do it this year because of the, because of the travel restrictions or whatever, but I put on my to-do list. I want to take my entire team to, I want to rent a house on Lake Cuomo and I want to take my entire Sheep to Shark team and rent the house for like a few weeks. And I'm talking like a massive, massive house with extra kitchens and that sort of thing. So that way we could all be together, but not like, you know, be sharing bathrooms and shit. And this, I priced it out. It's probably like a $75,000 vacation. This is wild for me. This is over the top. I do not make that kind of money currently. Um, but it's fun to want and there's no need attached to it. So like to want something you don't need is such a fun feeling. Mm-hmm. And that sort of 
that sort of money, like feelings about money really drives growth because your desires are always going to push you to the edges of your potential. Yeah. Right. And so if in your relationship with money, the thing is, is like, you have to take care of that masculine energy stuff first, because if you have what you desire before you have what you need, you will feel intensely unsafe, Mm -hmm. like so unsafe. Um, so there's like priorities of what needs, you know, obviously you take care of what you need before you take care of what you want. But also like one of the sweetest little limiting beliefs about money that a lot of people have is that you have to need something to be able to buy it. Because when we're a kid, I mean, what's the number one reason why you're not getting what you want? You don't need that. Right. And so a lot of people really miss out on like the really nice feeling about wanting something that you don't need. Mm. Yeah, that's that one's deep. Yeah, and I'm actually like I'll full disclose this. Like I'm going through a process now where like my my needs were all met. I was into my wants, and then the world got flipped upside down. I lost a couple companies, lost a couple hundred grand a month in revenue, and then had to rebuild again. And I'm happy. Like I launched a podcast that's here, but when I'm looking at it now. There were things that I wanted that I had that were good for me, but then turned into liabilities. And I've been cleaning house and readjusting. And, you know, we're moving to Montana in five weeks. And Oh, exciting. Yeah, we're moving to Whitefish, you know. And um, I need nature and stuff. And I looked at it. And, like, full disclosure, I'm looking at my car, right, my car in the driveway. And I'm like, that is 200 acres in Montana. And I was like, so do I want my car or do I want an asset? And I was like, hey, babe, let's get rid of the car. I'm like, I just want land. Let's go and like looking at it like a tool and things shift too. And like, this is, you know, imperative to what you talked about earlier. Like it was, things are great. Everything was there. And then we lost a lot of companies and stuff. And it was like, okay, cool. Like then I did a reassessment of like, what we have, like what's here, like, what do I need versus what do I want? And it's funny. My wants are so basically gone now. Like I want more time with my family. I want more time with my friends, you know? And so I got to give myself some credit, but I, I think it's a really powerful just way to think about it, like to get into that, to have these desires. But when you said like, you have to give your needs first, that's something that it took me a long time to get to. I would prevent myself from giving to my needs by going to get my wants, which would then make my needs even greater. Right. Cause I just created liabilities. Yeah. And it also creates a feeling of deep unsafety, which, oh. you know, may have been part of a past comfort zone. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, of course. Cause then I had something to prove, look, I'm unsafe right now. I can work harder. And then like that cycle competes and we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. But money doesn't like that. Like if people who spend their, their money on wants before needs it is like, really like if you can give it like a lady's face <laughs> in your mind, like nobody likes that. Like, that's not like you would take care of your house and everything before you, you know, go buy extra fancy stuff. So yeah, the, I'm I'm dying on the inside right now. Like this analogy of like treating money, like my wife and giving it a face and like everything you're saying, it is such a good metaphor. Like being in a relationship with it, not neglecting it, not pretending it's not there. Like all of these things and it's simple, but it's really profound at the same time. Yeah, and then it you it, um and we do have ship in their to address about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for this is is like it always feels like a silly assignment when I do it, but sometimes I'll have my clients like write a letter to to money and to see what kind of comes up 
there can be a lot of like healing and shifting of those old beliefs. Um, you know, like your subconscious mind works for you. It wants to do it, like your brain wants to serve you. It's, it's what it does. So when you say this belief doesn't serve me anymore, I'm ready to have this belief instead, you know, for a lot of clients, unless something's super stuck, like in trauma, or there's a lot of really heavy emotional baggage, a lot of times that's enough. Mm-hmm. And what do you, you, know? do you, do you give them prompts? Like, what do you have people write in this letter to money? Oh, just like write a letter to money. And it's just, uh, like about what, like say you're sorry for the fucked up things you did. And what do you want your relationship to be like going forward? I love it. Everybody listening, I want you to write letters to money and I want you to tag Brie in them. Brie, actually, that'll, where's the best place for everybody to find you? I normally cover this earlier. All right. So, uh, probably the best place to find me is on my Sheep to Shark. Uh, Sheep to Shark with Brie Sedano is my Facebook page. And that's, there's a ton of free content there. My team makes beautiful graphics. Um, so if you wanted to know more about this, like literally, like I'm posting stuff right now, I have a, um, a free training on like, so it's the first module of my money mindset boot camp, And so decoding your money mindset, like all the, the activities that we talked about for your money blueprint, like you can go there and get all of it and it's all free. So, and then that's, that's probably, what was the name of the Facebook page again? Uh, sheep to shark with Bree Sedano. Sheep to shark with Bree Sedano. Okay, cool. And so now are there any books that you're reading right now that you would recommend to anybody? Oh my goodness. I'm perpetually reading books. Um, let me think about it. For those of you listening, oh, she's like you know, literally right. looking around her office. Yeah. Cause I was like, I like literally there's like Amazon. Amazon <laughs> isn't my house all the time. I read super fast. One of the best books that I could recommend is Existential Kink by Dr. Carolyn Elliott. Existential Kink. Existential but- Kink. Okay. The way that she explains, um, patterns and the situations that keep coming in a, up in our lives is super different. She's hilarious. She, like I listened on Audible. She's a very funny lady. She's, um, and it, for me, it made a lot of things click. Existential kink. Okay, cool. So I got that one. That's your book. What's your favorite food? I like sandwiches. What kind of sandwich? Like what would be your dream sandwich? Like, all right. So this one time I went to New Orleans and I didn't have time to get one, but it's like a, it's a sandwich with a mufalata on it. I think it's like Italian meats and olive paste or something. So that would be my dream sandwich, but I haven't had it yet. So I don't even know that I like it. Well, that's I, it. I have to, I'm going to have to go to New Orleans to get it. <laughs> you should make another like dream vision about it. Plan a trip to New Orleans just to get the sandwich. Yeah, actually, I think this was advice that you gave me a while ago. This year, I'm going to, once the travel, like I could travel a little bit more, but I'm going to start doing the cheese travels like before I'm old, I guess. You have to. Yeah, no, it's it's happening. I'm going to go to Asheville. Actually, that's going to be one of my first, first goes. Beautiful. There's apparently a cheese extravaganza to be had in Asheville, North Carolina. Ooh, you have to see that's TJ where, and Megan. That's where TJ and Megan are too, yeah. And they'll give you the olive oil. They'll give you the olive oil for the cheese. Yeah, we're going to go. Yeah, hopefully they'll be around. We can go on a cheese adventure together. You guys are going to have to follow Brie to hear about these cheese adventures. We have we have context here. We had time together on where she should be spending her time, and cheese came up a lot. So, <laughs> so silly. <laughs> it's the silliest thing. Okay. So 
everybody listening, everybody's here, everybody made it to this point. If you could leave everybody like with one thing, a takeaway, a remembrance, something to put into practice, like leaving an imprint on them that they take forever from Bree Sedano, getting them from, you know, bleeding money to stacking cash to going from sheep to shark, whatever it is that you want to do, anything that we talked about or anything that you think is important, like what would you leave everybody with? I think the number one most important thing to be better with money is to grab yourself like a, a page in your notebook and keep it somewhere where you very clearly write down the visceral and like mental feelings of what, what you're like in scarcity levels one through 10. Cause that panic feeling scarcity that is massively, massively taxing uh, to your mental resources and the scarcity is really pervasive. So we'll get into your time, your money, your mental energy very, very quickly. Um, and so if you are aware that you're in scarcity, you can mitigate the damage done. But like you want to think about it like, uh, you know how little kids get like, I call it jam hands, how they're like sticky for no, like you're like, how did you even get sticky? But like when you're in, when you're in scarcity and your hands are covered in scarcity, like that is not the time to be touching everything in your life. Like you you need to calm down, wash your hands, get yourself out of scarcity before you're making decisions, before you're sending emails, before you're selling things. And so being able to check in with yourself on those lower grade scarcity levels will make such a big difference in your business and your decision making. I love it. So you broke up a little bit, but in the notebook, you want to write the levels of scarcity and identify them. Yeah. And you want to know like what it feels like in your body or if it's a mental thing. So that way, like I know like low level scarcity, I'll be mad at my spouse for no reason. Like more mid-grade level scarcity, it's it will be like my brain won't shut up. It'll be like, you could do this. You could you could pay that. You could not pay that. You could do this. You could like for the longest time, I was like, I'm going to have to fire my employees. I remember. Yes. Like literally it was – yeah, I was like, I'm going to have to do this. It was, and it like was so relentless. So that's like, you know, levels probably like five, six, seven. And then you have like the intense panic of scarcity, like, you know, like, I don't know if something was to happen or to get a really big surprise tax bill. One time I had a freak out about a, what was it like a, not a speeding ticket. It was like, it was, I was an unpaid uh, toll. I had a toll from New York and New Jersey for the same trip. And I paid New York's toll, but not New Jersey's toll. Cause I thought where they were the same thing. And then I got a $400 fine. And I just remember having like such a visceral freak out, like a, like literally like a bear was chasing me, even though it was 400 bucks. Like it's, which, you know, I just paid it. It was fine. It was all fine. But knowing, knowing where, like knowing how that shows up for you is a great idea. And also if you want it to be extra super duper smart, knowing how it shows up for your spouse, mm -hmm. because sometimes like one of the biggest like relationship dramas is like your spouse expresses scarcity differently than you do. <laughs> like, like we're both in scarcity, but she does this thing when she like, the, like if people don't have the language around this, but they'll be in my office and they'll be like, well, he does this thing and he does, he gets super cheap and he won't spend any money and we need to buy these things. And then he'll be like, and I'm like, yeah, all right. He's trying to hang on to the money. He's just in scarcity. And when you get in scarcity, you want to buy everything that's on sale. It's this exact same thing. Just, <laughs> just different. Yep. 
the secrets, the secrets, the secrets. Well, I love it. I love it. Um, once again, what's the name of the Facebook page? Because I want everybody to go watch this, find this. Oh, it's Sheep to Shark with Bree Sedano. And that Decoding Your Money Mindset thing is super, super good. And yeah. there's like – it's like a – 17 page workbook that comes with it so it's Ooh, i'm gonna go sign up for that i'm gonna go check it out i'm gonna go read it i'm gonna go i'm gonna go read your emails and your workbook because i want to and i Bree sedano i need to thank you because i learned some stuff in this and i'm stoked like this makes me happy this makes awesome. me happy and i already bought and downloaded existential kink and so i will be listening to that one as well oh know. yeah i think you're gonna like it she's totally she's your cup of tea She's my that, cup of tea. That, yeah, you know, you know my cup yeah, of tea. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna listen to her and you're gonna be like, oh my word, this is the best way to do this ever. Yeah, no, I love That's... it. I'm always looking for ways. So everybody listening, make sure you go find out Brie, get into your money blueprints, stop dumbing MWAs, build a relationship with money like it's your wife, and know what to do with those scarcity hands so they don't touch everything in your life. But it's been fun. Until next time, remember that relationships always beat algorithms. Have a beautiful day, and I'll you will hear me in the next episode and one day I'll figure out how to really say that because you really don't see me. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Mind of George show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.